Welcome to season three. Welcome to season three of this most unbelievable podcast. We're doing it, Paul. We're doing it, Sherry. Here we are again. Here we are again. So season one, we had no plan. And no plan is what we got. Season two, we made it plan. How do things move through the body, the heart, and the head? And so now we go into season three. Do we have a plan? We don't really have too much of one, but a couple of things we notice keep coming up. So what are our reoccurring themes that we think will guide us? Connection. What do you think, Sherry? Connection and persistence. Connection and persistence. These are pretty big themes, Paul. These are pretty big themes, Sherry, and we'll do our best to cover them well here in season three. And we thank you, dear listeners, for listening in as we figure out more about connection and persistence this season. If you like what you hear and you want to support this podcast, please support us on Patreon or visit our website to hear about any of the upcoming workshops that we're offering. Thanks, y'all. Now on with the show. Good evening, Sherry Spiegel. I guess it is evening now. Well, I went back and forth. I went back and forth. I almost went to afternoon. Yeah. It feels like we're talking in the middle of the night. But it's it looks like, yeah, it looks like we're talking at the middle of the night. The sun has just gone down. Uh, well, not just. It was, it was a while ago. It was a while ago. And it's going to get even earlier as we move on. Here we are not yet at 6 p.m. And my monitor that I'm looking at you with shows uh, no blue on it, right? The, uh, the evening shade has sort of come on to let me sleep tonight and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I went back and forth on that, Sherry. I was about to say afternoon, but then it was like, but it's dark. Uh, so evening? Yeah. You know, I kind of want to, now I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to turn on my night shift. Okay. Yeah. So I just did that. Um, because right before we started recording, I was complaining at how, uh, how much I look like a vampire today. Mm. And I put the night shift on. And now I see why you're less com- concerned. I don't look as... Uh, Undead? Much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Undead? Look, Is that the word you're looking for? Undead? Yeah. I need a little less blue in my world. Yeah, I look better in this light. There's enough blue in, in the world. Speaking of blue, this weekend we went to the Artec House. Yes. Which is currently doing a, an exhibition on uh, blue. Pantone blue is the color of the year. So it's all things blue at yeah. the Artec House. Which yeah, is pretty, I saw some Instagram stories with that, I think. I love Artec House. Might have been House. that. Yeah, might have been that. Might have been some Instagram and going on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and you know, they're... they're thoughts on it were uh what strange days we live in these days with uh, pandemics and elections blah blah why not have some blue in our lives some calming blue and i was like okay cool yeah you know um it was lovely it was lovely i don't know if it calmed me or not but it didn't antagonize me further well that's interesting color theory is kind of weird like i think Mm -hmm. um i remember when i was first told like Rooms that are painted yellow are supposed to make people feel like cheerful and happy. Mm-hmm. But the problem with this is somebody somewhere along the lines, I think, had read something about this and so decided to pay, like paint a lot of my childhood elementary school with yellow. <sighs> so I don't associate that with rainbows and sunshine. I associate it with cafeteria, like of an elementary school 
I don't know. The social engineering perspective on that is disturbing, though. It's like, we have this elementary school where all these kids and we want them to be cheery. So we're going to paint everything yellow because we want cheery kids in our in our school. You're supposed to be cheery. You're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be running around playing and all that kind of fun stuff. And I appreciate that that is a sign of a well uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Oh, a well-adjusted child, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, uh, but I don't yeah. think I don't, I don't know if that painting them all yellow is a means to that end. Uh, no, specifically. I'm not sure that it yeah, is. Yeah, but that was but... big back in the day. You know, paint the room blue to have this effect, and paint the room blue to do this this kind of thing. I don't know I don't that know. it has the effect we hope it has, right? Like, I don't know. Um, Usually, the effect it had on me was, man, that wall is like really yellow. Well, <laughs> they can you know, go a little I... overboard with these things. Yeah, I think they did this at the college, too. Like, let's put some accent yeah. walls in the classrooms, and then the mm-hmm. students will feel what exactly? Like, I feel like all they're like is like, why is there a pink wall in yeah, this computer do... lab? <laughs> um, accent nails, fine. Accent walls in classrooms. I don't know. You know, yeah, I don't know if that does a thing. It's a fashion statement. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um uh, we have talked about this many times in our condo. Our, our walls are the same color white they were when we bought the place 10 years ago. You know, and every year we say, you know, we really ought to paint this place a little bit, but we we rarely do. And maybe it's a good, maybe it's a good wintertime project. Of course, I guess it's good to have the windows open when you when you paint a wall. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's recommended. that It's not necessarily a good wintertime project. No, I guess um, it's not. It's a good... With the fumes is all I'm saying. With yeah. The fumes. Yeah, it's a good fall or spring like mm-hmm. when you have the windows open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we painted um we painted our living room dining room area uh which is a majority of our house cuz we live in a very small condo. Mm-hmm. Um but what's funny about it and I think I've probably told this story part of the story on uh the podcast before. So mm. when I was a kid, I really wanted to be able to paint my brother moved out went to college so i got his room above the garage right Right. and my dad was like you can paint it any color you want and he basically took me to like the home depot or whatever and took me to the shades of white and was like yes you can choose whatever (laughs) color whatever color of white white (laughs) you want and i was so disappointed but when it came time um i was like okay i'm an adult and i can color i can paint my walls any color i want and I found myself taking my husband over to all the shades of white and being like, mm. look at all the choices. And we had a mm. robust conversation about what we chose. We chose Ming Dynasty white. Wow. I was thinking there must be some lovely shade of eggshell or something like that. It's, didn't you notice the Ming Dynasty white when you were in my house? Of course. Yeah. He lies. <laughs> <laughs> of course I did. What do you mean? No, there's a, it, um, it was really striking when we first painted it because it's, it's clearly just, they're white walls, but there's definitely like a blue undertone to it. Yeah. It. Many of those whites do. Yeah. I have that little bluish. Yeah. Shade to them. And so initially Especially when we first whites. did it, we were like, whoa, this is so blue. Um, but I like it. It feels crisper and cleaner than the, the whites with like a yellow undertone. Yeah. I think the white that we have on our walls is whatever shade is the cheapest at home Depot. Mm -hmm. I think is whatever Mm -hmm. shade that they painted this one before they sold it just to kind of clean it up a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll think about it. Maybe we'll think about it. Well, it is kind of a weird thing that we do that we we're like, you know, what would really make this place feel like home? Walls that are white. Yeah. Let's get some wainscoting and maybe some, 
you know, some accent things here and there. Yeah. All kinds of things we can do to dole these things up. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of things we can do to dole up our our environment and engineer that in a way that is, um, what are we going for anyway? Well, that's that's kind of the question, right? Like, Just disturbingly, it took me 49 years to come to that question. It's like, when I do that, what's my objective? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a couple, maybe two weeks ago, um, I've always had curtains in my house. Mm-hmm. Like always. Because that's what you do, Paul Fitzgerald. You that's have what other curtains. people. That is what other people do. That is not what Paul Fitzgerald does. I know. And so then, like, curtains. at some point along the way, you curtains. had mentioned that you didn't like carpet. Or not carpet, but, well, maybe you don't like carpet. I don't love I don't carpet know. either. Yeah. I yeah. But you'd mentioned that you don't like carpet. Or, God, I really, <laughs> I really want to talk about your hatred. For the record, carpet. I don't like carpet. Okay. So. Yeah. So I knew that, too. But you mentioned that you didn't like curtains. And so... Like, I was sitting in my house one day looking at the curtains, and I was, like, all of a sudden I realized, I hate these things. Yeah, they're not doing anything. They're not doing anything. There's stains on some of them. Some of them, they've been up and haven't been washed so frequently that they still have cat dander from my cat that's been dead for two years. Yeah. Like, and I mean, maybe that just tells you how often I launder my curtains, but, then but who was... launders curtains? What, I'm going to buy something and hang it up so I can take it down and wash it every once in a It's stupid. Yeah, so all of a sudden I realized, like, I have dander hanging all around me. And I'm enough of a germaphobe <laughs> sure. that once I realized that, I was like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, no, that's no good. Over. Yeah, that's no good. I've never I've never loved curtains because, you know, and, and part of it um, has that it, was that it was a source of, ang- of um, not really anxiety, but a little bit of that, but just antagonism as well. Um, moving into a new place, ooh, Let's hang some curtains. What kind of curtains would you like? What color curtains would you like? And I was like, I don't like curtains. But that was never sort of an option at any point in my life from college all the way up through. Um, to not have curtains? What do you mean you don't want curtains? It's like it's just not done to not have curtains. If there's a window, it needs curtains on it. That was, I mean, growing up, you know, like yeah. growing up in, in, in my house when I was a kid in St. Louis, it's like there must be curtains on every window. I never saw the... The thing, I don't know. I mean, I like sun coming in windows in mornings and I like to see the sky at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, but people can see in. It's like, well, they can pay me then. So it's kind of my, my <laughs> If they're that. that interested, they deserve yeah. the show. Yeah, I'm really not doing anything as interesting as all that. I mean, what yeah. are they really going to see that they don't already know or would be remotely interested in? Um, so yeah, yeah the- curtains, never... Yeah, know. never did it. Well, I'm not sure what it's trying to, I'm not sure what they're trying to do. So I took mine down. Uh, and initially, I was kind of planning just to take them down and wash them. But I had this conversation with my husband where I was like, hey, so if we take these curtains down, would you be sad if we never put them up? And he was like, yeah, I have no interest in curtains, personally. And it's Why didn't he say that 20 years ago? <laughs> it would have been. Well, what's funny is so in college, uh, fun facts about Eric Spiegel. Here we go. Mm. So in college, Eric had this like way of seeing the world where when you got a set of sheets, you know, they came with a sheet and a curtain. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Because yeah. in Eric's world, he didn't use uh, the flat sheet on his bed ever. And so in his world, like you took your sheet and you put your sheet on your bed and then you took your free curtain and you used thumbtacks to affix it to your college window. Really? 
Yeah, that was the Eric Spiegel way. So he huh. was an astronomy major, so I bought him all these like glow in the dark star sheets and that's Yeah, yeah. And he had curtains. Air quotes. Yeah. Cuz a free one came with it. Free one came with it. Yeah, that's cool, I guess. Um I mean, it was his strategy. It worked. Yeah, I don't know. I still don't I mean, I don't want to come across like an idiot and say, I don't know why anybody puts curtains up. I mean, I think I do. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, it's cultural, but what, what is the attempt here? So we paint our walls when we put curtains up and they're clearly ornamental, right? Well, no, I don't think they, so here's the interesting thing. So the this is only... how little Paul knows about interior decorating is what this episode's about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we go where the does conversation anything. takes yeah. us. Well, so when we first moved into this condo, we had um, metal framed windows. So they okay. didn't hold yeah. heat or keep out uh, heat uh, especially well. Yeah, right. And so we had the curtains and we had blackout curtains to mm-hmm. help with insulation. But then they replaced the windows and the, we have double pane, like really nice windows now. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like... I used to have curtains to hide my ugly windows. Mm -hmm. But now with these new ones, I realize like I want it is more important for me to be able to look out my windows than to be concerned about whether my neighbors are looking in. Yeah, that's what I think um, as as well. So though there is a guy in our in our complex that I think. um, Well, one day I believe I observed him cooking in his kitchen with far less clothing than I feel comfortable working Uh-oh. a frying pan. Oh. Just saying. The eye contact was a little awkward. Yeah, he could have used a curtain. He could have at least like covered himself up with it. He doesn't need it in the window. <laughs> right. You know? He could have used it on his person. Could have used it on his person. The problem isn't the curtain. It's his wardrobe. Yeah, it's where it was or mm-hmm. wasn't at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what are we trying to do with all these colors? Are we trying to cope? Are we trying to... Uh, soothe are we trying to entertain are we trying to you know one up the neighbors what are we trying to do with uh well it seems like because people might because i mean people might come over and see that we have white walls and how uninteresting is that or is it ah that color is soothing to me and i really enjoy it i mean i think curtains are a nesting thing right like we we paint you know you move into a new place and you uh, well not you but Someone like others, you yeah, others. might choose to, you know, take control over the space by choosing the colors, by putting up curtains. I think it's a nesting thing. It's it's a thing of like, how do I make this space, not just a, a house or a condo, but how do I make it home? Mm. It's a nesting thing, I think. But one might say there are other ways. Yeah, I was I was going to say I do that by putting my stuff everywhere. Oh, <laughs> which is why, as you recall, Sherry, my most common uh, used phrase is I really need to clean up in here a little bit. You know, I think the I phrase there is up. not Sherry, as you recall, but as you recoil. Yeah, um, as you recoil, I really need to clean up in here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So your that's nest is literally just all your things together. Yeah, I guess. Um you know, it, it, I, would, I would not be honest if I said everything in here is exactly where I like it or anything like that. Things in here are not exactly where I want them to be. And I really don't know what the vision of this space is, where I record from. And this is also where I teach classes from. This is also where I, you know, Zoom from with, with folks when I do. 
um, sort of my all purpose. Yeah, it's my all purpose room, Mm -hmm. sort of, you know. Um, and I can hear my wife downstairs thinking, yeah, his is what, because I mean, she, she almost never comes up in here because it's like, that's just where he puts his stuff. Um, <laughs> and it's not a big space, but it is filled with a lot of the stuff that is uh, my, my jam, I think. And I do take comfort in the belongings around me and seeing them. It's like, ah, oh, there's that. And then um, I have, you know, stuff and things and stuff I enjoy and things that are nostalgic to me sort of around here in this space but then that conversation always does seem to end with i gotta get rid of some of this stuff this place is a mess i really need to clean this place up so um i go back and forth on thinking you know ah things are the way they are and this is my stuff versus i just have too much crap you know am Mm -hmm. i defining myself through this stuff what purpose is all this i i haven't that book back there in the shelf behind me i haven't read that in 15 years i could easily donate that or if it ended up in a box somewhere without me knowing i would never know it was gone um, so I don't know what the stuff is. I don't know what the stuff is. You know, so, some of it clearly does have a lot of more meanings to it than, than other stuff of it, but it's like, I don't know. Right. So do you find, or like, do you ever get your stuff? Like you, you often talk about like, oh, yeah, I got to clean up this room. And occasionally yeah. even like with your office at on campus, you would be like, oh, I got to clean up this room. And then sometimes I would come by your office and you'd be like, I cleaned up. And I would be like fascinating which which thing did which thing did you clean right. like, it looks the same to me did I you move that cup two that, inches to the right or? yeah i noticed there are fewer books on your bookshelf and so yeah so like does the idea of ordering and arranging your stuff like would does the idea of having someone like come over like if i wanted to come over and help you marry like marry condo your stuff does that sound appealing or horrifying to you or you can choose a third option. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, what does that feel like? Uh, so you're walking in the door. You're coming in. Mm, mm, I'm feeling a little of the version. Yeah, you're not going to want to feel. Yeah, that. I'm feeling. No, I'm feeling a little. I'm feeling a little bit of a version to that. Yeah. And you're not, not sure going to choose to yeah, do it sure by why. yourself either. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Um, uh-huh. Interesting. Because I'm feeling, no, oh, this goes there. This doesn't go over there. This goes in this place. Uh, it, it's sort of a, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. It's yeah, it's curious. And clearly, if I mean, you, you've seen this room, at least in, in a screen before. It's like things don't have a place in here. <laughs> you know, um, I guess I just like being the person to put them where they are. Yeah, that's it's interesting. Like, so... I think one of the reasons I ask is because ordering stuff is a definite coping mechanism for me. Mm. So, um, and I think in an episode of this podcast, I think during the summer, we talked about this. Um, So one of the ways that you can know that things are a little tricky in my brain, I don't want to say that things are going badly, but when things are tricky in my brain, you can tell because I want to order the stuff in my life. Order as in arrange. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. What would happen when they were arranged? Would it take up less space? Would it be structured in a intuitive way? What is your process of ordering? What 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 uh, by what by what means are things ordered? 
Ah, a good question. Uh, it, depe- it depends on... Dewey Decimal, perhaps, you know? <laughs> well, so what's fascinating about this is my sense of order and most... Um, mm, trying not to beat myself up with this. Um, what I would describe as typical ways of ordering are not necessarily the same. Um, so I like to have things... No, actually, that's not true. I am very picky about the items that I like to have exist with me in my space. Mm. And I'm particularly sensitive to the, the items that I can see. Um, so I really don't like stuff. Um, in fact, I've been having this conversation with my mom. Like, my mom is a very well-intended uh, mother who would love to buy her daughter things for Christmas. This idea sounds terrible to me because the idea of receiving stuff and having the pressure of having to know, does the stuff go somewhere in my space? Do I know what to do with it? Does it, does it have meaning in my space? Oh, too much, too much. Can't handle it. Um, so what my ordering process often looks like is, uh, removing stuff that when I look at it, I have a negative association Uh, getting that outside of the visible space for me. And it's also, um, it's just a charade for the fact that I feel out of control. So I want to control and order my space. So it's really just seeing less of it. And it's having the ability to banish unpleasant things from my sight. Now for my husband, order means that all of our books will be alphabetized our Ooh. records will be alphabetized, and I do not share that value. That's but... a deep clean right there. That's a deep cleaning. Yeah. Uh, to to do that, I don't know. I straighten the place up, uh, and I, I organize and order things. I think um, as a de-stressor mm-hmm. myself, because when when I say, "Ooh, I really need to clean this place up," it's not because it's a mess. I think so much as it's become I'm a mess, mm-hmm. and um, maybe I reflect my environment. Yeah. A little bit. And so I don't know if it's, if I would say it's control as much. Um, but it's my life is completely out of control. Um, and I'm not coping well. I'm going to clean up my environment. Um, but looking around right now at my desk in front of me, there's stuff around here. It's like, I have no idea why this is here. I am now holding up to Dr. Spiegel on the screen right here. Um, an Amazon gift card, which has been used and it carries no cash value. It's been sitting here for two months. Why do I have this? Why am I not just throwing this thing away? Um, other items are is the Bluetooth uh, the Bluetooth remote for the uh, for the activator on the ring light. Mm. Uh, I, where I, is the ring light? Uh, where is the ring light? Oh, it's right there behind me. It's right oh, there okay. behind me. Mm-hmm. Right, you can sort of see the top of it back there. It's like why is this sitting here on this desk? What else do I have? Uh, a USB drive with a Linux distribution on it. Uh, of a couple of Allen wrenches. Ooh, ooh, a drill bit. Oh, a drill, good. Where's a drill your bit. drill? Uh, it's in the closet over there. Of course. Uh huh. And a uh, three band, uh, three band, uh, one eighth inch cable. Well, we need those all the time. That makes I, sense. Mm, so, but but yeah, it's like I could hang this up like right there where the rest of the cables are. I don't know why this stuff. Is. So this does this. You know, this does this for me. It. Um, about a tenth of the things that are in front of me on this desk make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't make me right now feel like I need to get up and scurry around and finally dispose of this Amazon gift card. But I suspect the next time I'm feeling a little bit um, a little bit uh, out of control, um, I would. The 
thing that is causing me not to do that right now is that decisions have recently been made where I do feel like I am in control of what what I'm doing. So it's like, uh, I might get that box out of the middle of the floor, but that hardly counts as cleaning up. That mm-hmm. that counts as not tripping over it because you're trying to get from one side of the room into the other. Right. It's when things get kind of dicey where I uh, I get the bug to to actually get a get a bottle that sprays things and a, and a couple of paper towels and a do in a, in a recycling bin mm-hmm. and go and go at it and go at it. Yeah, that's interesting. The other thing I notice is that I'll do that kind of thing. Um, if I'm if I'm talking with someone and I really want to make sure that I'm listening actively, mm-hmm. um, like I was talking to a dear friend of mine yesterday for a very long time, and I decided that that conversation was the time that I should clean all of the dust from the fan that's in my bedroom. While you are having the conversation? Yes, but like not during? do it the efficient way of like grab the vacuum cleaner and do it in three minutes. It's instead like take a cloth mm-hmm. and run it through each little spoke individually. Yeah, unscrew um, the grate off of it, you know, and get in there. Yeah, and so it's a, it's, it's a mindfulness activity that looks a lot like cleaning and ordering. Yeah. Um, but this used to happen to me when I was a kid, too. Um I had a lot of stuff like my parents like you know they wanted us to be fulfilled children and so we had like especially like Barbie stuff like an ungodly amount of Barbie items which really um yeah which today like thinking about me having Barbie just seems ridiculous but um I hated all that stuff and it would just be everywhere in my room and so I would basically take it all and I would divide it into two piles the pile that I would cram into my closet, mm. f- floor to ceiling. Yeah. yeah. And then the other part that, because, you know, I might need it, I would cram under my bed. But I, the goal was the same. I just don't want to see this stuff. I want to feel in control of my environment. Yeah, we all have a closet somewhere, though, that hides our secrets. Oh, yeah. That hides yeah. our secrets and that hides our... Uh, outward appearances of, of what we, we are. So what are we trying to do? Are we trying to make the environment look like we want to be? Or, I mean, that's not my answer. That's a place to start. Well, it. I mean, it is, that's an interesting question. Um, it's funny because whenever I'm watching TV and they show that the homes that are always without fail, my favorite and the ones that I think are the ones that I would like to personally aspire to right? without fail. They're the homes of the serial killers. Really? Mm-hmm. Very clean usually, right? So clean. So orderly because you know, they've got some dark stuff they're trying yeah, to hide, right. right? You don't want anything. You don't want anything hiding anywhere. Yeah. So it is an interesting question. Like, what are we doing? Like as we, it's almost like hate cleaning. Like it's order, yeah, like right. um, coping through cleaning. Um, what are some other things you do to cope with the mess of life? Oh, to cope with the mess of life. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a little bit before. Um, in a different context before. Um, this notion of what are our resources that we that we use. Um, mm-hmm. And cleaning is certainly one of them. To cope. Um, uh, I cook. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I I find true peace on, uh, in front of the in front of the stove. Mm-hmm. Um, cutting vegetables, sautéing some stuff, getting a bake on, you know, baking 
spreads and things like that. Um, I get quite a lot of, you know what, I've just had it and I'm going to go and I'll go downstairs and cook something. It doesn't matter if we're hungry or if we already have stuff cooked or whatever. It's like, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm cooking something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll cook it and not eat it and we'll stick it in the fridge and we'll have it tomorrow. It'll be better tomorrow anyway. Yeah. Um, that's a big one for me. Um, mm-hmm. Take it out of the vegetable. Just part of it. And we, we know that I do enjoy the dishes. I, we, we do. I this do is enjoy a well-established like doing the dishes. Yeah, and that certainly is part of that because the biggest difference in our kitchen, anyway, between whether or not it is ordered and structured and, and organized, is uh, very strongly associated with whether or not the dishes are are done. Just today, I did the dishes. Just mm-hmm. today, to see all that open counter space. Oh boy, that's delightful and rare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Delightful and rare to to see that. Um, yeah so well that's I definitely judge like and I don't know if it's a cause and effect thing or or what but like when I'm asking myself are we doing okay how are we doing right the two things that I think about first when I answer that question are is my bed made and are the dishes done and I think that Mm -hmm. this might be very related to the fact that we've been working from home for you know, approximately 3,000 years. Yeah, yeah, Um, about there. Yeah, but, you know, like today, for example, uh, Paul, to my right, this is going to surprise you, to my right is an unmade bed. What? Yeah. It's unheard of. I didn't make my bed today. It's unheard of in this Beagle household. I know. Do you you think less of me now? I don't. Mm. I don't. Uh, I don't. Um. Yeah, and I didn't do the dishes either. Mercy. What will yeah. the neighbors think? What would... Yeah, and now I don't have curtains to hide my shame. What? Oh, my God. Sherry's life exposed. Exposed. Uh, if you are living in Alexandria, Virginia, go look in her window and see what a mess her life is, and you will feel instantly better about yourself, right? Because, yeah. oh, my God, she doesn't make her bed. She doesn't have the dishes clean. I can see in these windows. Mercy. It is a weird Mercy. thing, though. What it's like, think? Uh, what is that? What is it about the... the the counter space, the clean bed. Uh, I had a friend walk in my house one day and looked around and said, do people even live here? And I was like, oh, my God, thank it's you. It's a show home, right? Yeah. Yeah, like that's. The real estate agent's been through. Mm-hmm. But I also know that um, some of my obsession with the tidiness of my home is not it's it's actually a maladaptive coping strategy right because mm. like uh the truth of the matter is my identity is not shaped in whether or not i make the bed there are lots of people out there in the world who i have no idea whether they make their bed and yet i find them delightful yeah human and, and you you're you are able to have an, uh, a thought about them mm-hmm you know, you don't need to know whether or not their bed is made. No. A lot of people, though, do. Um, I, I don't know if this is true or not. This might not be actually true. There's some urban legendary mm-hmm. out there um, about uh, ways to avoid doing things that are uncomfortable and mm. cleaning cleaning being one of them. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wow, I really, 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 really don't want to do check that email or send that email or have that conversation. I'm going to mop the kitchen floor now, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like because the floor needs mopped. So I'm going to finally going to get around to doing that. And um, it's like kind of seeing this very uncomfortable thing in front of us and seeing something in front of that, which may not be 
uh, mm-hmm. a vacation, but it's it's something that you feel this urge needs to be done, and it's not as uncomfortable as that thing that you need to do. So I'm going to clean up and put the I'm going to fold the, I'm going to fold the laundry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, or, I have hit a low point if that's where I'm at. Yeah, me too. It's been sitting in there. You know, it it does the daily migration from the bed to the basket and then back to the bed again uh, between the morning and the night. Um, we just have a basket in the hallway that grows. <laughs> taller and taller and yeah. once it's approximately my height that's when i'll be like okay fine clearly oh, we need to get rid of clothes i'll organize the closet yeah there are literally no clothes in the dresser anymore they're all like every it's like like when you get rid of this you never put the clothes anywhere except the basket anyway um yeah cleaning to avoid and because mm-hmm. i don't know if that's true um that it's 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 truly i don't know if that's really the shirking of work that it's made out to be so much as it could be the coping with a discomfortable uh, discomfort and an uncomfortable way of being until you are able to do the thing that is uncomfortable because we don't want to beat ourselves up and, you know. Yeah. Don't you think it's productive avoidance? Like it's not that I'm being lazy, right? Like I am cleaning the grout in my bathtub. I'm a useful human being. Yeah, you know, and I found that after after I do that activity, I am oftentimes able to do that uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah. Like, well, cleaning the grout wasn't so bad. How bad might, could whatever it be? It might just be the movement. It might just be movement, moving stuff through. It's like, I'm going to take a little bit of time and do something uh, to let this discomfort, uncomfortable thing or this discomfort move through me. And movement always helps me with that. Yeah. Um, and if I'm going to be doing that, I'll grab a broom. And, yeah, you know, yeah. But I do think like that out of it. strategic avoidance is a strange coping strategy. And I mm-hmm. think we do it in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah, I think we do too. Um, a lot of times the things that I most hardcore, you know, like right now, probably you, me, and every person that's listening, right, probably has something that's sitting in their email inbox that they know uh, will take them two minutes to respond to, and yet every time they open the inbox, it sits there. There is a real sense of resistance about yeah, responding to that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we've we've talked about email coping on this before. Yeah, yeah. I'm I might not. go back and revisit that <laughs> episode. What did I say I would do? Because like, I could I use that. that right now. Yeah, I could use that right now. I don't know. Um, we've used the word coping quite a lot. What do you think coping actually is, Sherry? Um, it, uh, it's this word that sneaks out. It's like, I can't cope with this. Uh, I'm coping with discomfort. I'm coping with uh, whatever. Or can I cope? Yeah. How are, I mean, you, how are you coping these days? I mean, it's this word. It's gets, um, it gets thrown around a yeah. little bit. Uh, yeah. What do you think it is? What do you think coping actually would be? Look at you asking the definition question before Softball me. question, softball question. This is how Paul's coping with not wanting to answer those questions anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is coping? I think coping is, I think it's survival. I think it's, um, I think coping indicates that there's, that there is something amiss, but there is still a will to go on. Um, you know, like, like no one says I'm coping with joy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm coping with loss. Um, I'm coping with dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm coping with cupcakes. I'm coping with brownies. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it's, it's, 
you know, it kind of maybe there's a persistence in it. But what's interesting to me, I think, about coping is that there are constructive, healthy patterns for coping. Mm -hmm. And then there's patterns that definitely serve the survival of the purpose. Uh, but they turn out to be the habits uh, that hold us back later. You say survival of the purpose. Yeah. So sometimes you develop a coping mechanism because you know that there's some sort of a problem. And then you keep the coping mechanism even after the problem has okay. resolved itself. The, the life of its own phenomena. Right. Like, so for example, um, when I was a kid, I um, really struggled with learning to read. And I really struggled in particular with reading aloud. And so like the quickest way to ignite a anxiety attack within me was when a teacher would say, okay, now we're all going to go around the room and mm. take terms reading aloud. Right. And this is one of the reasons right. I don't do this to my students. Um, so I hated it and I was super bad at it. Um, my report cards will tell you things like I had word attack issues. You know what that means. I don't know why I should be attacking words in the first place. What'd they do to you? Yeah, right? Just some words. Um, so I developed like this keen understanding that I was very bad at reading it aloud. And so mm -hmm. um, the first time I ever gave a conference presentation, I read aloud and I was so humiliated at how stupid I sounded. Um, how so? Um, I stuttered. I tripped over almost every word I said. I, I, I did not at the time. And now as a writing teacher, right? As someone who studied literacy for quite some time, I can say I had not practiced reading aloud enough to develop fluency. But mm. at the time, I just thought I was a moron. I couldn't do it. Um, so I, what I developed was a coping mechanism, which was from that point on, anytime I presented at a conference, I never wrote the paper. Yeah. I relied on the fact that all I need are five good slides and my charming personality. And I got yeah, good I, at it. I got yeah, really I ended, good I, at it. I ended up in the same place. Did you? Right. Because, um, you know, what I would do, I would go rounds uh, in conversation. I would, uh, I don't know if it was conversation or not. I don't think it was arguing. It was somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. uh, where, where the two meet, that's what That's what it was um, on well, should I write the thing or should I just use note cards? And, and it's like, how do you practice this? What are the order? What do you do with the note cards? What is, you know, how does this go? We had, is there, should there be one person? We would go through these whole rounds of how to give an effective presentation. And what I realized that all of that anxiety that was going into, how do I do this presentation? And how do I do this right? Because I'm a graduate. What do I know? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm learning how to give a presentation and I don't know any better. I figure this is how it's done. This is how it's done. Um, you have note cards, you know, nobody loves it when you read a, a, a paper to somebody, you know, um, certainly Paul does not like to be read to. I don't, I don't. Um, and, uh, note cards seem like a reasonable and logical thing. They're oftentimes discussed in interpersonal communication and speech classes as a good idea so you can remember your points and make sure you get everything down in a mindful and linear way 
um, so you're not stumbling around, uh, which is totally a fallacious argument. I've seen plenty of people stumble around with no cards. Oh, no, yeah. That doesn't it do does a not a good speech make. And, you know, after a while, I was like, why am I, you know, they, they stop feeling like a, a safety net. And they start feeling like an anchor just mm-hmm. kind of pulling you down. And you can't be who you really want to be when I gave, I found out, I'm only, I can only speak for myself. I should use, I should use I and not you. Um, I felt I started to feel like it was really holding me back, holding me down. I was not enjoying it. I was spending most of my time reading this card and angsting over, oh my God, what if I drop them? Are they in the right order? How do I, how do I look at my cards without giving people the impression that I'm looking at the cards? Um, and then it's like, well, it's okay if you look at your cards. And it's like, well, then why don't I just read it? So, I mean, none, none of the, any of it really made sense to me. And then I realized that um, I was spending all this time and energy and effort working on the solution um, on how to give a good talk because my graduate advisor was terrified of giving talks. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That was her coping. Yeah. yeah. Not my coping. I was like, because after a while I got to, it was like, these cards are more trouble than they're worth. And, you know, the reaction that elicited was, oh, my God, you're going to give a talk? And are you going to give a science talk at a conference without cards? And it's like, and we're going to watch the world burn when I do. Um, and it's like, guess what? Guess what? Mm-hmm. It was fine. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, so oh, That was great talk. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. The first time I ever gave a talk, I read the paper. I felt like I sounded illiterate. So after that, I just started talking and, um, and it turns out I'm pretty good at that. Um, it's like I should have a podcast or something. I don't know. know. Um, but yeah, so I got pretty good at that. And so I would have no problem with doing conference presentations. Now the problem became that I got so comfortable with that, that I stopped actually writing the paper. So then if you look at my CV, I've got an obnoxious never number of conference presentations yeah me too. and yeah, me comparatively too. very few publications yeah, me too. uh and what's really obnoxious is people um would come to presentations that i've done and say oh my goodness that was so great uh where is it published and i would have to say nowhere because she never wrote the paper right um but what's really interesting is um over the years i just started practicing reading aloud more um and uh the more you do it you develop a habit and now i can do it quite well but you know what's sad no one ever gets to hear me read aloud because i've stopped all my coping mechanisms avoid the reality that i would ever have to read aloud in front of people yeah so if i read aloud in front of you you know i love you because i trust you enough to do it in front of you oh that's nice that's mm-hmm. nice. That's like like the weather. Yeah. So I read to weather. Paul and Paul tells me the weather. And yeah. that's the basis of our entire right. relationship. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I discovered that, you know, that wasn't even my coping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was like, Paul, where are your note cards? And it's like, you know what? I'm just going up there and I'm just going to do it. Oh, my God. You know, and uh, the... The reaction was uh, was curious mm-hmm. that I saw another people. Just... And again, great talk, Paul. You know that that said the same thing when I had cards and when I didn't. So like, well, if I'm, if, if it's going to be quote unquote just as good, why why bring cards up? So it's like I'm going to free myself from the shackles of 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 all of this, and I'm just going to trust myself. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I did the I did the experiment. Nobody knows more about it than me. Right. If I don't know it by now, I got no business talking about it. What? Exactly. Yeah. Why? Why not just go up there and have fun? Yep. Just yeah. give an interesting talk and go. Um, and and it's it's been that way uh, literally ever since. Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned like, oh, this turns out this wasn't even my own coping mechanisms. Yeah. What if that's true about the curtains too? Like, it's not us that are concerned about people looking in. Someone else somewhere along the lines was like, you should be ashamed of what you're doing in your house. Hide that. Yeah. What am I really doing in here that is so shameful anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if we, whenever we want to, whenever we have people coming over to the condo, it's like, so we, we've occasionally invited people over just so we have to clean mm. before. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, well, we're not, we don't have whatever we need inside of us to clean it on our own. So we will invite someone over because then when, whilst properly motivated, we will clean the hell out of this place and it will be spotless. Um, yeah. So that's curious. That's curious too. So, um, and that is coping, I guess, in some way. I don't know if that is or not. I mean, people are going to see the inside of this place. Um, I better clean it because I don't want them to think the wrong thing. Well, I think it's coping with the disconnect between the conditions you're in and the conditions you want to be in and trying to find like what's the th- what's the catalyst that's going to get you moving. It's yeah. not going to be internal motivation. It's going to be, oh, we don't want Martha to think we don't yeah. wash the dishes. Yeah, I don't want them to think that this is who I am. I right. don't want them to think that this is who I am. But that gets back to this whole notion of what color the walls are, too, though. It's like, are, are is your wall color an expression of who you are? Is your environment really an expression of who you are? And if, if so, all of this uh when you're stressed out, we're going to do the dishes and straighten things up and, and clean makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can't feel this way on the inside, the way that is more comfortable for us, at least we can express our environment in a way that might um, mollify us into the way we want to be. And when, I mean, when I talk about environments, people say, you know, where do you like to vacate? Do you like the mountains or do you like the forest or whatever? He likes My the desert. My favorite is the desert. Yeah, it's the desert. I like bleak vast open expanse where the only thing to hear is the wind whistling through the through the sagebrush um the bleaker the better i think like northern arizona and sedona area is a little too fancy for me there's too much stuff uh give me the give me the high desert uh or the or the mojave like any day the bleaker the better Um, at least mojave's got a river yeah, Death Valley was glorious. It's like, but not as glorious as some of those. That's why I always like Nevada. Nevada? Nevada. Nevada. Yeah, we had a conversation earlier about the pronunciation yeah. of that. Thank you, West um, Wing, for that. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, like, you can stand on some of those uh, some of those hills just north of, north of Las Vegas. Uh, hi, Caitlin, you know what this is about. And, I mean, <laughs> you can see for it. A hundred miles, you know, you can see for a hundred miles on a clear day and it's just glorious. And it's like, ah, so whenever I'm, I'm really stressed out and we go on a vacay somewhere, it'll be, um, the desert of the beach, mm-hmm. desert of the beach. Um, for, I think the exact same reason. Um, I like that vast expanse of openness in front of me where I can look out and not see stuff. Yeah. Uh, look out and not see stuff. And it's like, ah, you know, and I, yeah, I can feel myself expand into this space and all my 
woes and trials and tribulations are blown asunder uh, by the desert breeze or the ocean waves or whatever it might be. Uh, just love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, when I'm in the mountains, I think the mountains are great, but it's like you can't see that far. And it's like every time you get over one mountain, there's another damn mountain. And what are these valleys doing? What? What? what, what yeah, so this is so. Why do they call it? Why do they call it mountains and not valleys? There's the same number of both. <laughs> well, because we we want to focus on the high points, not the not the low points. I guess. Oh, I guess. Um, it's so interesting because I'm just realizing that I think it was around this time last year that I asked you what you do to recharge your tank. Yeah. Um. Because I think this is the time that people like you and me start finding the tank is empty. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. And so I think co- like this is when our coping mechanisms uh, pop up. And I remember asking you, like, what do you do that recharges Paul? And you're like, I go to the beach. I go to the, the desert. The and desert. I was thinking to myself, cool, cool. You know, you can't do either of those things right now. So I'm kind of interested in what else you got. <laughs> Um, as I start observing my friend being like, I'm not on empty. I'm fine. May mm-hmm. I find my, may I find what that is? I don't know. It's yeah. very inconvenient that, you know, these places are not nearby really. Yes. Or, and that it's November, you know, and that it's November. But yeah, it's about this time of year. You're right. Um, the, the engine is still running. There's gas in the tank, but the engine light is about to come on. Mm-hmm. Right. We're what, 11 weeks in. We got a couple few left. Uh, we got. You know, two and a half weeks before Thanksgiving, I guess. Um, it'll be close to Thanksgiving by the time this comes out. Um, and uh, I'm thinking more about that, I guess. Yeah. You know, because we think, you know, having time off is the thing that we're going to need because we get, you know, most of a week off for Thanksgiving and then uh, the, the the winter break. You know, we have, yeah. we have several, several weeks then, but I don't know what I'm going to do. At that time, right? I don't know what 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 coping looks like in that, you know, because that's it's like because coping it it can't be. We've talked about this, Sherry. It can't come down to wreck yourself and then crash for a month and then wreck yourself again and crash. That's not productive. It's not healthy. It clearly can't be the way this is supposed to go. No, um, there must be things that are built into the discomforting the discomforting or uncomfortable times in our lives where we can cope. Right. At least temporarily with something. And I, I hate to say things about my life where I say phrases like get through it and stuff like that. It's like it's, it's like the line at the DMV or something or the <laughs> dentist. It's like my life can't be that way, can it? So, I mean, when I I'm thinking as I'm speaking, obviously, everyone, mm-hmm. um, when um, when one recognizes that one is coping with something, is that a sign to adjust so I, I which was, of the five things that is blue through would yeah. you like to? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine um what do you want to do with that so i think that it is i think coping is a sign that all is not well but i also think that coping is the social norm yeah so i think this is what we do right like we've talked about this over and over on the podcast right we work for the weekend yeah Right. Yeah, we have talked about we that. push through so we can have the fall, the winter break. Um, then the winter break is over too soon, and then we're into spring, and we grind through to get yeah. to spring break. And then we come back from spring break, 
and we grind to get to the summer. And then we're surprised that we also feel challenged during the summer months. Yeah. Um, and so, so this is where kind of the subject for this whole podcast came from today is like the idea of like, I think most of us are probably trapped in a cycle of coping where most of us wake up and ask ourselves, what are the things I have to cope with today? How will I cope with the causes and conditions of my life Mm -hmm. in order to cast my vote that I want to be alive again today? Like we are not living, we are coping. We're surviving. And so what I'm trying to figure out for myself is how do I get really, really familiar with when I am not living and when I am just coping? And how do I pivot away from the cult of coping and start moving towards the freedom of figuring out what it means for me personally to thrive. Thrive. Yeah. Uh, what's the relationship between coping and thriving? Uh, I get to ask the good questions in this one. I know. I, now I got to cope with that. Uh, I'm sure you'll thrive in it. Yeah. So... I'm interested in what it means to thrive because for most of my life, I don't think I would have described myself as thriving. Hmm. Though I think you can look at the CV that I referenced earlier and we could make an argument that I have thrived in academia. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I, early in this pandemic, we talked about the fact that in the midst of this shit show, we have been thriving. Yeah. So, I don't know what the yeah. dictionary definition, and this is so unlike me, the person of words, to not to go into a podcast like this where I have not privately Googled the words before we start. Mm. But I think thriving... Well, first, I'll recognize that thriving probably has a lot of weight of privilege with it. So we can think about that. But yeah, I it also, might. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. But I also think it might. If you want to thrive, you have to make an intentional choice to recognize the difference between coping and just trying to not die. And choosing yeah. to really live. Yeah. Um, and we have talked about this, uh, about this time in, in history. Mm-hmm. And um, for some reason, I'm reminded of my my haircut, the haircut episode. Uh, this has gone the, on was, long what, enough. Yeah, this, yeah, I was going to say, what was the title of that one? This has gone on long enough. Um, and it feels like to me that was a decision where I, I sort of put my foot down figuratively, if not mm-hmm. literally. Um, and said, I'm done coping with this pandemic. I'm going to, I'm going to shift to a perspective where I'm thriving in this pandemic. Um, how am I, what am I doing that I'm using as a way not to escape, but to, um, find a therapeutic release from the struggles and the difficulties of pandemic life as an educator 
and move towards, okay, so what do I have in front of me? Mm-hmm. And how can I leverage this to my best? Because I started to realize that the only reason that I felt like I was coping with the pandemic and not thriving in it was because I remembered what I was doing before the pandemic. If I was dropped into this earth and there weren't these weird things called college campuses anywhere, um, but there was the internet and it's like, hey, Paul, you're going to have this class. I'm going to talk about biology, introductory biology one and two um, and other stuff. And here's your dual monitor, high speed internet and your two HD webcams and your keyboard and your adjustable desk and all this kind of stuff, I would say, holy shit, this is fantastic. I didn't even have to fool around in traffic or anything like that. This is great. The only reason that I was suffering in the incarnation of the way things are going is because I was somehow still tied or remembrant or working out the habits associated with a way of doing things before it was done that way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I was just dropped into this right now, not knowing any better one way or the other, I would be totally looking at this in terms of, okay, so how does this work and how can I do a better job of it without being attached um, to the discomfort of things not being the way they were? Um, I would have dropped immediately into thriving and not coping. Because think- if it was all just coping, I never would have taken the job. Right. Well, and with the pandemic, I think you moved into thriving I try to move into that pretty quick. Well, I think you are adaptable and you are positive, right? And so, Positively adaptable. Um, and I have ideas. Yeah. And so it's interesting <laughs> you know. because I do rem- I do remember feeling like you had adapted before I did. Like It took me forever. It was like a week. Yeah. I'm yeah. saying that in jest. And but so yeah, a I'm, week I'm later, positive. Paul's like, yeah, so this is what... Like, I'm like, I'm like over here and I feel like I have to point out that I'm an Enneagram four. And so I'm super dramatic and I'm like, Paul, when will we ever see each other again? And you're like, why does it matter? We can still do this podcast. I don't understand the issue. And I'm like, and so, yeah, like I, um, I think I was clinging so much to my expectation and what had been possible and what I enjoyed previously that I wasn't yet able to say, well, this is how we're doing it now. Cool. How do I find joy in this? It took me longer than a week. You know, I, I don't did. want to be so flippant. Yeah, least... I don't want to be so flippant just to say that it's like. Rrr. Yeah, it was probably a whole 10 days. Yeah, yeah, probably a week and a half. But I mean, there is some some discomfort there. But I mean, I think when, when it happened, I tried as best I can um, to look at it with curiosity mm-hmm. it's like wow there's a lot different now than they used to be and um i think that helped um but i for for months though for months after it started there was a sense of coping yeah you know i put a positive spin you know and i'm adaptable but there was still if i mean if if it if it was immediate thriving without feeling like there was coping and resistance to it, I wouldn't have said this has gone on long enough and and went and, and gotten a haircut because that was, uh, I think, the point when it really shifted for me in terms of, well, this is the way it is. I'm going to do the, my best with it and we're going to thrive from here on out. And uh, not looking back as best I can. I have, can you see it on my face? I have an interesting psychology of Paul question. Oh, cool, and I cool. am going to anticipate that Paul is going to say, I don't know, I haven't thought about it. But that's okay. We'll see what happens. 
I might rub my chin like I'm doing now. As well. Yeah, you can hear it, listeners, if you listen carefully. Um, do you think... So, earlier, Paul and I were having a private conversation that he may resent that I'm bringing up now. We don't record everything that we talk about. No, just 90%. Mm. Um, so, earlier, we were talking about the fact that you tend to process things like three months after they pass. Slowly. Pretty slow. Yeah. yeah. Um, not slowly, but I hold on to them for a long time while they're in process. Yeah. So, you know, you're working through the That's summer true. months now. You know, yeah. in the I'm summer, you're July. working through... <laughs> So I wonder if that there if there is an interesting connection between your adaptability and the fact that the how the rates of things move through you, right? Like so you're not processing your attachment to our change in March. You might get around to it in June or July. It doesn't mean you're not going to process it. You just aren't no. doing it in the moment. And so you're able, perhaps, to adapt more quickly because you don't have to do the emotional baggage then. That's true. That hmm. is true. This might be one of your superpowers, my friend. Yeah, that, that is true. Um, it's a superpower, but that does come with, and I will pay for it later. They all do. Uh, <laughs> we'll pay for it later. Um, but that, that that could be true. You know, I, I mean, I, I can hear that. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like it. I mean... I can in the I mean, and this is not like I'm not feeling anything, and I'll you know it'll catch up with me me later. I mean, I enjoy things as they're happening, and I feel resistance to things as they're happening, and I don't like some things as they're happening. But you know, at, at the front end of it, there's always this. Well, this is the is that is. This is where we are. This is what I got in front of me. You know, what do we what do we need to do, and what's the, what's the best way to do it that harms the fewest and helps the most as simultaneously as possible. You know, and then a week later, it's like, whoo, that was a shit show last Thursday. Remember that? Um, but it, it can take a, it can take a little bit sometimes. But it all sort of depends on the level of trauma that the thing sort of um, that, that, that comes with it. So yeah. when I say I'm still working on stuff from the past summer, uh, this summer was a shit show. You know, and there was stuff that was going on um, that I was contending with that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Not that, I mean, I'm fine. Yeah. Everything is fine. Uh, but not everything was fine at the time. Right. Well, yeah, and not it's, everything was fine. So it's so fascinating because at the time, some of that stuff, not all of our stuff is shared, but a few of our things are. Uh -huh. And so I think there were a couple of things that we went through together that were a shit show. And they felt yeah. like a shit show to me. Yeah, they were, we knew they were a shit show at the time. We knew. We both knew. Yeah. But it's so interesting because now I'm able to look back on the summer almost fondly. Like, ah, yeah. oh, yes, those times in the summer. And it's it's like, well, we processed that stuff. But it's because I processed that stuff yeah. while we were doing it. Right. Um. And I'm still a little bit in the man that was messed up kind of phase of, of it sometimes, you know. So it it just it takes me a little bit, right? But I think I this know, is you know, and it's like that's eh, fine. But isn't this kind of the joy of community is that we don't cope with things the same, and maybe that's what helps us get through it, right? Like if we were both stuck in the same kind of processing that I was in in late June on this particular issue. We might still be stuck in that issue. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. Um Yeah. Um knowing when knowing when something's big that's moving through, 
um, having the awareness to say, you know what, I don't have to do this all at once. We can do baby steps here. We can take a little bit of it and then come back to it and do something else for a while. Um, we can do what we can do and then we'll pause and do the dishes and come back to it in a minute and do another little bit. We don't always have to be mm-hmm. uh, doing everything all at once. And we can take our time with stuff, Yeah, I think. And it moves through at the rate that it does. And you're not a better person or a worse person for it taking the rate that it does when, when it does move through. Blessed be that it that it does move. And the one thing that I, I don't want to say like to avoid, but does occasionally happen to me, and I think it probably occasionally happens to most people, is that things do get stuck in the in the tunnel where you're not sure what the way forward is because you can't see the other side of it, but you know you can't really go back because there's another train coming behind you. And you're you're in the middle of the tunnel, not really knowing where you where you are and how to how to progress through it. And sometimes that does uh, require um, a conversation, Sherry, with a good friend, you know, to find out what direction things are going to move in and just kind of jostle it a little bit and see if it starts to uh, deconstipate, so to speak. Um, because that can that can happen, right? Things and things do get. I think stuck. you just it, compared our friendship to an enema, to a mm-hmm. bowel movement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> maybe I did, uh, which is fine, you know, cleansing and refreshing and all that, I guess. Right, but, yeah. um, but yeah, how do you, how did, cause things do get stuck mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's always curious to find out how and where it, it does and it's resistance to, um, the full, the full spectrum of awareness on what comes with something that can be uncomfortable or painful. Yeah. And um, what do you look like on the other side yeah. of processing what it is? Because if, if it's profound enough, you might end up being a totally different person than you were. And that's going to come with its own set of challenges. Like uh, I'm used to being aware of the way that I do things. And if I change who I am because this big thing happened and it's been processed through, I'm going to have to come up with new reactions to stuff. You'll work it out. You always have, you know, but it's still scary. It's still scary. Well, and I think it relates to coping, right? Like, I mean, part of this is like, sometimes that processing is identifying like, these are the coping tools you've had. Um, These are the things that you once said were okay. And now you're saying, nope. Yeah, it's okay. I'm coping with it. We'll talk about it in a month. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) And that's okay, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, when it's not okay, we know, though. Yeah. Um, when, when things are not okay, I do know. And it's like, yeah, this is not okay. Yeah. It's interesting because sometimes I think, okay, uh, like I try to do the, um, like, I don't have to, baby steps. We'll talk about just a little piece of it at a time. Yeah. Um, and I'll even say things to people who are dear to me. Like, that's it. I'm done. I don't need to say any more. And Paul knows what happens when I say that. Liar. Yeah, we go on to talk for 30 more minutes about yeah. the thing that Sherry has decided she does not. Because a lot of times, like, I get frustrated. Like, you have, like, a six months like, processing period. And you're like, well, that's just how Paul is. May- I don't know. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. You may mm. be a little more restless than I'm giving you credit for. But if I'm not, like, if I don't experience something and immediately understand, have a four-point plan for how we are going to cope with it, move on, mm. and be on the other side of it and be a charming, uh, well-adjusted human in two seconds, then I am automatically a failure. 
And that is what it's like to live in my head. Mm. Spoiler, mm. it is difficult to thrive yeah, when you believe in that way. Like that. Yeah, it is difficult to thrive when you believe that way. Um, uh, thriving. Yeah, how do we know when we're doing it? What does it feel like? I really think it's a choice. It's I, I think it's one of these words like, you know, what is love? How do you know when you're doing it? <laughs> is it a verb? Is it a noun? Is it an adjective? You know, like, can you choose to thrive? Yes. I think you might have to. I think you can. I think I watch. Let's not make it about other people. Let's make it about me. I think I can tell when I am not allowing myself to thrive. Hmm. Right. And I think that this is cultural. We've talked about like learned helplessness is a real thing. Right. Like, um, yeah, I think yeah. sympathetic misery is a real thing. And these tools, these coping mechanisms are not compatible with an abundant, thriving life. No. Um, so it seems like thriving starts with an ability to notice um, what you've been accepting as living <laughs> and what you want instead. Yeah, I, f f I think it feels like when I've made that, that flip um, a little bit sometimes from coping with something to thriving mm -hmm. in something. I mean, it's just interesting the way that it's used, coping with versus thriving in. Mm -hmm. That's curious. Um, uh, it feels like ab abandonment or surrender a little bit. Um, thriving or coping? Thriving. Thriving. To, to, get there, to get there, to get there. You know, it's, and, and that's where sort of the decision-making sort of comes in or the um, resignation maybe is, is what it is more like. Um, I'm giving up on holding on to the way things were. Mm. This is the way things are. And forward, we will march um, to be our best selves. And it requires a little bit of abandonment of who you were, what your expectations were what you thought was going to get done in the timeline in which it was going to happen. It's like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. Now we're going to do this. And that's okay. We can put that to bed and we don't have to come back to it. Yeah. And we did great stuff when we were there. And um, now we're doing this. And it sounds like um, it, it comes across as an act of abandonment, but it, it, it feels like an act of kindness to yourself. Maybe it's an act of release. Why you know, am I carrying this? Yeah. It's interesting. So you have a plant in your window, right? Two. Two. Oh, multiple plants. And unlike my plants, which are, uh, my lavender is dried and my, this plant is plastic. I think you have living plants, right? Two. Yeah, I have, I have living plants. I have an yes. aloe and a, what do they call that? A Christmas cactus. Oh, yeah, yeah. And would you describe them as thriving? Especially the Christmas cactus, I would, because it is about to flower. Mm. It's got yeah. the little buds on the, on the tips of it. It's so, pretty super. Yeah, so what's interesting about plants that are thriving in a in an environment like that is like that plant Paul isn't saying to you, I kind of wished I was downstairs instead of in on It this used floor. to be downstairs, but now it's up here. Did it thrive there? 
It did. Hmm. Yeah. So it's an, and now it's not like and I was downstairs before. You brought me upstairs. How can I live like this? If it was that, if it was downstairs now, it would be coping. Yeah. Interesting. Because I brought it. One of the reasons I brought it up is because it's about you know five five degrees warmer up here mm-hmm. than it is downstairs, um, and it's getting cold out, mm-hmm. and it's flowering away. Downstairs, it probably wouldn't be. Yeah. You know? So. Okay, so some of thriving really is the cause and conditions. Um, if if the plant was able to make a decision on where to be, it would be up here too. You know, or it, it, maybe Paul, it would be with the person who was about to purchase it the day before, but they yeah. didn't purchase it. Yeah. So now maybe. they're stuck with you. Yeah, I'm sure they they're fine with that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, it's uh, you know, it it thrives based on the environment that it's that it's in and the decisions that it can make, and whether or not it's in uh, a set of circumstances where it can flower. Yeah. Well, so what I'm thinking about is how a lot of like things like plants, dogs are a good example. Like a lot of times, other species are a yeah. lot better. And oh, yeah. not clinging to what could have been or what would have been the preference, but just finding ways to thrive in what they're in. Yeah, they're not thinking about breakfast while they're eating dinner. No, right? Like when you're with a dog, like that dog is so excited about today. Yep, right now. Yeah. And I think like so many dogs are, I mean, not all dogs are thriving, but you know when a dog is, right? Yeah. And it's because, you know, they're able to be in the moment. They, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand, like, what keeps us from thriving. And some of me, like, at least within myself, I know what keeps me from thriving is kind of my tendency to cling uh, to the past, to expectations, Mm -hmm. to sense of how things should be. Or um, my unwillingness to just free fall. Yeah. I would say all three of those are probably true for me mm. as well. You know, it's like when, when something's getting in the way, it's one or all of those. Yeah. It's one or all of those. And when I recognize I am not thriving here, but if I did this thing, and that can be starting something or it can be finishing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an episode about how to say no. Mm-hmm. Um. When, when that realization is made, it's hard to not act on it. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the most interesting things about what's come from this podcast. Like, I have no idea sometimes who listens to this podcast and who it's valuable to. But I do know that some of the things that we talk about on this podcast help me to better understand what I need to thrive. And so like that word no is such a tool to like yeah. open those doors. Um, you know, I've said no to things. And even just this week, I've said no to things. And you have also, my friends. I have no as well. Things. Yeah, a couple things. And um, I have gotten emails back asking me if I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Because the assumption is that I usually cope with everything on my plate 
And the question, this is one of the emails that I'm avoiding right now. I don't know how to answer the question. Am I okay? You're concerned because I've said no. Like, I'm more okay than I think I've ever been. Because the difference is for the first time in my life, I know what I want. Yeah. The question, are they okay that you said no? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's one I wrestle with. That's one I wrestle with. It's like, because I I have this resistance to um, causing discomfort in others. Um, We've talked about this before as well. And it's like, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. So I'm going to put myself out. So is that and then then come up with a way to cope, right? Yeah, it is. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's you know, it's easier just to say yes and just do the stupid thing uh, than it is to you know feel like I'm disappointing someone. And none of it's true. None of it's true. Yeah. Um, Or avoiding the no. I think sometimes, sometimes if I know the answer is no, I'll avoid the answer as long as possible. Um, Learn how to say no in practice. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, learning how to say no is a practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of our friends knows that if he asks us to do something, meaning us being my, my husband and I, not you and I, um, uh, if he asks us to do something, if he hears back from me, it's a yes. And if he hears oh, back from Eric, it's a no. Interesting. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Like I make Eric be the bad guy. It's like a college acceptance. Is it the big packet or the little packet? Yep. Oh, they're sending in Eric. <laughs> That's the wrong no. speaker. That must no. be a no. That's funny. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. Cool. Uh, thriving and coping. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I think we, it seems like you and I are more familiar or more comfortable with coping than we are thriving. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were others that were the same way. But mm-hmm. um, learning that one can thrive in uh, environments and in conditions that they did not expect mm-hmm. um, is a gift. And um, look around, folks. Yeah. You know, look around, see where you are. You know, forget about the past um, for a minute and see if you just dropped into the life you're in right now as is. Um, what would you do and how would you do it? Mm-hmm. You know, based on who you are and what you want and who you want to be and who your best self is. And go for it. Yeah. Say yes to that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll look. I am looking forward to getting more curious for myself about what thriving will look like, um, and I'm curious who amongst our listeners thinks they are thriving, or that they have had times in their life where they would describe themselves as thriving. Yeah, when and, and why? If, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be all. You know, it can be can it be thri- different conversation. Can it be thriving in one thing while coping in something else, or is it really an all or none? Situation? I think that's probably a yeah. yes. Right, like, it probably is a yes. I'm always going to be coping with laundry. Yeah, yeah. May no we thrive? Yeah, may our may our ratio of thrive to cope be high? I yeah. guess you know. Well, and and I think the other question too is, who gets to decide whether or not you're thriving? I think both of our CVs would indicate that we have thrived within the spaces we have occupied. Yeah. Whether or not no. we have felt thriving along those paths is a different question. Yeah, and now we'll thrive in a different one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool. Cool. What an interesting conversation, Paul Fitzgerald. Wasn't it, though? Wasn't it, though? So we never answered the real question here, which is why do people paint their walls? I still don't know the answer to that. And what's up with curtains? So, listeners, <sighs> I open this to you. Uh <laughs> 
Or why haven't I painted my walls? I don't know. Well, you know, I think the other thing that's true, Paul, is this morning I put on uh, eyeshadow and mascara and you did hmm. not. So I think there are... No, I didn't. I didn't. Conventions about the things we paint that may have some domestic uh, underpinnings. I think you might be right. Yeah, that's a subject for another. Patriarchy, ugh, a different po- podcast. <laughs> maybe, maybe two. Maybe two. Uh, probably twelve at least. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sherry. It was a great chat. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Hey. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Awesome. See you, everybody. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com.